Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Andrew Schmidt, CEO of Amec Design Build in Minnesota. The labor shortage has been a frequent topic on this show, and today's episode is going to join the ranks. Andrew is here to talk about their apprentice and internship program and why it's critical to invest in the next generation. And we'll hear all about it in just a minute. You want answers? Put that coffee down. You talking to me? Hi, I'm Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. And I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Good, good. How are things on your side of the room? Awesome. Exciting (laughs) stuff happening. We're right in the middle of all of our roundtable meetings. We get to talk shop and strategy with all our members, so that's really an exciting time for me. It's always exciting. I love it. We've got um, a meeting coming up. Tomorrow, right? Wednesday. Yeah, tomorrow night. Well, yeah, tomorrow night. It's going to be fun. And so, again, one of the big topics of conversation at all these meetings and all of the speaking engagements that were going on is the labor shortage, among other things. Just can't shake this topic. No. Why can't somebody fix this thing? (laughs) Well, you know what? We've got somebody who's making a dent in that with us today. I like it. We ready to rock? Do it. All right. Today, we get to welcome Andrew Schmidt, the CEO of Amec Design Build. And I met him when I was out speaking to the Minneapolis NARI group, which was awesome. We started talking about the whole bit about labor shortage. Now, Andrew started his company in 1996 with his twin brother, Matt. And now, and his, then his father came on shortly thereafter. And his brother, Paul, has joined the company as well. They started out as a roofing company and now are doing over $7 million in full-line remodeling with 21 employees and growing. So we're going to talk today about how they're finding the best people for their company. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. So, hey, you know, we got talking a little bit about the whole labor shortage and and how you are changing the model a bit and, and doing things differently in your company. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing and and how you what the strategy you are using to grow your company and find the best employees yeah thank you that's a big question but mm-hmm. i think um back when i was I, I served um when the labor shortage started to kind of rear its head was in about 2012 and 13 when we started coming out of the building recession where we lost almost 50 percent of our labor force up in 2007 and 8 and some members, um, remodeling members, came to me and said, hey, we've got a problem. Um, how are we going to solve this problem in the labor shortage that we can't find good carpenters and good tradespeople? And so I was thinking about that, and I started doing some research, and I looked at my job descriptions and ads that we placed, and I looked at my uh, other remodelers' ads, and we all had um, five years' experience to apply for this job. Mm-hmm. And so right there kind of got me to thinking, like, okay, how do we change this? Um, we have to change our expectation of what we're looking for. And back to when we started our company, we were laborers, and we started grouping ah. uh, houses. And we ended up starting to train. We were like, hey, we need some more employees. So we would take new people that we knew that were good people that were like us, and we would start to train them. Over the years, as our company grew, we started to see opportunities in, at big markets where there's a lot of subcontractor labor. And so you start just hiring a lot of subcontractors because it's more efficient and it's more profitable to do. 
Um, and so that's kind of the model that I think in the Twin Cities, at least, I've noticed that a lot of contractors ha don't have tradespeople, especially remodeling. We usually use subcontractors um, in our space. Um, so that, that caused me to have to think about, like, okay, as, as an organization, NARI, or even Housing First, which we're also part of, we can do stuff at the capital level. And so I started to poke around to see what can we do. And there was this um, Jim Nash, he's a... Uh, He's a politician. He had put this bill forward. It's called DPSEO, this vocation post-secondary option. And I thought, wow, this is a great idea. So I started getting to the capital. I'm like, hey, this is amazing. What can I do to help you? Um, and it was, a, it was a bill that, I don't know if you guys have worked in politics, but it takes a while to make a change right. in politics. And so um, I tried to help out and find places place that could. Um, even with my own kids, I thought, well, how can I get them trained in the trade? So I started to look into it and I can't even hire my kids that are, um, younger in school because construction is deemed, um, um, uh, let, me, let me think of the word, um, hazardous work environment to be on the construction job site. So you can't bring in like high school kids or even college age kids? No, not in the state of Minnesota. And so that was something we were trying to work on and saying, how can I do this? The only way I could do this is if when I if I if I own 50% of my company and I worked in the field, I could have my sons come and work for me at my company. Wow. But because we have more employees and I have partners, I can't even hire them legally to be apprentices and to start to train them in high school. So it's not until after high school that we get an opportunity to grab kids out of school and say, hey, construction is a great industry. Now, do you think that's too late? Do I think that's too late? I think um, they've made decisions. I think um, as we've been talking to people in the schools, like uh, I, I, there is a change in the last five years with counselors saying, hey, construction is a good industry. You should consider that. But they don't get a chance to pick up a hammer because a lot of the shop classes kind of got yep. decimated, mm -hmm. not a lot of the trades. And so there's a lot of kids that are really talented that um, I think in my generation – um, a lot of my friends went to start building the internet and not building houses. Yep. And so I lost the big labor shortage there. And so it's a matter of how do we attract this next generation to this career trade? And one thing um, I put, I thought like, well, okay, how about this? How about if I pay them really well? And that ended up working. And so early on when I kind of thought like, how do we, how do we attract the next generation of carpenters? I thought, oh, I'm just going to make them an offer. They can't refuse. And okay. so we, back when people were paying, you know, $14, $16 an hour to take an apprentice carpenter train, I offered 22 bucks an hour. Oh, wow. I had a hundred applications in about a week. <laughs> and, uh, no, these, these were for, these were for inexperienced people that you were going to train. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the uh, apprenticeship program that we developed. Because when I started looking at, like, where's the career path for a carpenter, and I couldn't find anything. I started searching around, and there was no clear path. And so we kind of created our own career path of, with my production team and my, my lead carpenters. Um, we kind of came up with a career path for, for um, people that, if you have no experience, we want to take you and train you. Now, we do use things like, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the predictive index. Yep, yep. Um, the mm -hmm. index helps assess how you'll perform after I hire you. And so we have a real rigorous process by which we bring on apprentice. I don't want to take a lot of risk in hiring people that don't aren't going to love the job. Yeah. And so we use the index to help assess whether they're going to love this career path or not. 
So it eliminates risk of me hiring five people to find one or hire 10 people and they all just waste everybody's time and one of them sticks around. And then we do a, a value-based um, interview process where we're trying to find, do they make the right fit? Do they fit our culture? Do they fit our values? And when that person who fits our values and our culture also has the right profile that's going to love being a carpenter, because we've modeled that in all of our carpenters, and we just know there's a certain person that really has a long shelf life and it becomes a great craftsperson over time. Um, and so once that happens, then we offer them that position and they usually stick with us and we're investing into one person um, instead of having to invest into seven people to find the one that sticks around. So you're following the whole hire slow model. So you're using the predictive index and, you know, we're more familiar with DISC, but I think there's some similarities there. And then you're putting them through a, a, an interview process to try to suss out their values and make sure that culturally they will fit. Could you tell us a little bit about the process there? Like who interviews them? Who reviews all this stuff? Who's you know responsible? And at what point, who's involved in making the final decision that this is the person you'll bring on? Yeah, so as the CEO of our company, I still carry that final hat. Like I, I think the culture in my company is my responsibility. Um, the engagement of every employee is it primarily has to start with me. Um, I, I do work with my managers who they're going to be answering to. They're, they're part of the process. And so we've, and we interview together um, and I let them make the decision, but they ask me, is this a good fit? So I would be the one to help them say, yeah, if you like this person, this person would make a great employee. And so they're the ones that are going to be leading them, holding them accountable, managing them, training them. And so I want them to make that decision. Now, are you doing this just for carpenters field people, or are you also doing it for other positions in your company? Yeah, so the internship program is usually, what I look at, the apprentice would be someone that's raw, that has no experience. Internship would be someone that's gone to school. So like our design department, mm-hmm. so we always bring in designers. They have, they have to have some technical skill, and they get fed from like Dakota County Technical College or some of our local institutions around here that train and Revit is the, is the design software that we use. And so we love to look to them, train them, bring them out, give them a shot to try to take their skills and put them into a real company and apply them. And so um, our entire team is designed to help kind of help introduce them to our company and, and get them on, uh, get their feet under them in a design cap capability. We let them go out on, on job sites to the initial measures. We let them, in, you know, come along and watch how we interact with clients and create those schematic designs. And they're along the entire process. But yeah, there's a certain personality profile that we're looking for from the predictive index for that. So we also do that. Every single person we hire, we try to design. Um, we try to understand what makes a great employee in this area. Right. And so there's been a lot of work that me and my team have done to mm-hmm. really understand. Um, it, are you going to enjoy this? So one of our passions is to help people increase the engagement in our company by enjoying their workplace, providing them the resources to succeed. And so we had to kind of do, along with you know being passionate about helping people, we had to do a cultural shift in our company um, and, and find employees and find leaders who really want to invest. And I had to change what I expected of my employer and my, my lead employees um, of what's, what's success for them. It's not just... Um, being the most productive, it's training people, it's investing. And so we got to create that culture of caring and investing into the next generation. Andrew, the, uh, the apprenticeship program, is, there, is it all on the job, on the job site training, or is there any off? And then the second part to that is, is there any, have you ever had problems with frustration of, you know, I, I can't get my, um, it's slowing down my work with your 
experienced guys? Yeah, yeah, both of those are great questions. <clears throat> um, we do some, we do supplement education, and so in our every every year we're doing three sixty reviews of our employees. We're doing career path reviews. We're asking them what do they enjoy about their project, what their job, and how can we help you? And what are some of the next things we make time for people? We encourage them to go back to school if they want to continue to advance their career. If they're going to be carpenters. Um, a lot of carpentry work is um, giving them time with our certain um, experts and, and training and on the job. So a lot of carpentry craftspeople are on the job training. Some of the, uh, if you're going to move up into like being a field manager or assistant field manager, we'll use Sonari's um, programs to help supplement that to get them education. Um, so the certified project management classes that they have. And, in, and, and even in soft skills, we'll do some training in soft skills. Um, with people that need it. So we kind of, um, even books, we'll pay for their books that they want to learn and study. Yeah. Um, and so we'll help support their training. Um, but I want it to come from them, not from us. So it's not top down. It's them wanting to do that. And I found that when they want to do that, and we support that. They actually get it done. It, does the predictive index give you indicators of whether or not they are lifelong learning types of personalities? Um, it's pretty good. Index doesn't do that. They have a cognitive assessment that we have people take and it'll explain, it'll tell us like how quick they'll learn something new. Um, you gotta be careful. You don't want to get too high because they'll get bored. Right. You know, so you want, you want to find that right range for each job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we trained that. It doesn't, it doesn't talk about that. I think the other question, Mark, was, um, was a good one about the frustration of carpenters. And it had to come to, um, yes, it's, it's frustrating to take time and train new people. And I've had to be okay, and we've had to be okay as a leadership team saying, hey, I would rather you take that extra time and train that person because we're building, we're playing the long game. We're not just a short game, like quick profit right now. We had to back up and say, someone's got to make an investment. Well, let's be, let it be us. Let it be us making this investment. And what I've discovered is when we make an investment, a career investment in people that are loyal and they stay with you, they're not this, uh, they're not just moving to the next job. And next day. You just got to stay in front of it. And so I've found that we have to stay in front of pay scale. So we're always, there's, we take pay off the, off the table. I don't like, I subscribe to like, what is the current trends in paying people? I know right now I'm, I'm increasing pay by six to 11% for each position because I don't want to lose great people just because I didn't keep up with um, their pay. And I try to tell them like, we, we want, we want you to be the highest paid in our industry because we should be the most efficient at what we do and we should be the best at what we do. And so if we are, then we should um, be able to pay you well. So does that mean that you will build in? Because I'm sure your your carpenters, your field people are trying to hit certain GP goals for all their jobs. So do you build in extra time for them for specifically for training so that they don't go over budget and it's not a frustration from that point? Yeah, it, it, early on it was, um, it was difficult. But once we start to get our, our new KPIs, uh, we're starting to um, be able to use some of those things when we're estimating jobs going forward. It's becoming more accurate. It was you know, early on, we, we could see like we're spending some money into this program to invest. Um, but I think what's interesting is uh, we've gotten paid back times 10 in profitability. Because Great. what's interesting is you create this culture of engagement in your employees and they produce so much more efficiently. I mean, I think, I think I've been able to mark probably 12 to 18% more profitability because of the engagement and the productivity of our team. And so when you create cultures like that and you invest in it, it took a long time. It took five years, I think, before we really started seeing noticeable change in our 
bottom line. So it's actually becoming more profitable. And I think the long, long haul, the long investment is paying off. Hi, Tim Fowler here. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've likely heard about our roundtables program. Well, I'm here now to tell you that we have a very similar program for production managers. If you're not familiar with it, a few years back, we took the roundtables concept that's been so popular with Remodelers Advantage members, and we started groups specifically for production managers. Very similar in format to what the owners are doing, but focused on production issues and really diving into the best practices among some of the best remodeling companies out there. We meet twice a year for two days at each meeting, collect and discuss performance metrics for each company, and we support each other throughout the year with what we call as microboards, smaller groups of peers who meet monthly via Zoom to discuss issues and ask for input. So whether you are a business owner looking to improve your production team or a production manager that might need more help taking your department to the next level, we have a spot for you if you're interested. If you're interested in learning more, email me at tim at remodelersadvantage.com and I'll tell you all about it. Do you think you could delve into a little bit the, the concept of finding out if they fit your culture and the kind of value-based interview questions you use? Yeah, that's just been like trying to, I'm searching all these um, interview questions. Really, it's getting to some of our cores of our who we are. Um, me and my brothers really come from a small town. My dad was an uh, entrepreneur, body shop owner, and he instilled this value in small towns. He's like, hey, guys, you have one reputation. You know, do it with integrity, do it with moral standards. And so that became like one of the biggest questions when we're looking to hire people. So we want people that have integrity, that really... Um, show up, do what they say they're going to do, have a moral character about them. We we look at responsibility as another value. We just don't like people to blame shift. And so kind of how we how we ask questions around some of those values um, is, I'll give you one example. We say, um, tell us about two memorable projects, one success and one failure. What would you attribute the success to and what would you attribute the failure to? And as people are working through some of these questions, it's really, what I'm looking for is to reveal how do they handle um, failure? Mm-hmm. Who's responsible for that failure? Mm-hmm. Who's responsible for that success? And you start to like allow that to be value-based questions and in interviews. And so all the way through that process over the years, I've worked on these questions to be able to kind of weed out. Because I hate like, you get one hour yeah. usually to, to invest in. I got to make the right decision this one hour. So mm-hmm. It's a complicated. Most people that do interviews with us are like, wow, I've never experienced anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I usually tell people going in, just like the best way to get through this interview is just be honest. Because a lot of people try to look for, like, what are you looking for? And they try yeah. to tell you what you want to hear. And um, we try to get rid of that um, just by our question process. So when we do the predictive index assessment up front, I, I kind of know how they're going to perform on the job. I know that more than they do. Um, and so once that's out of the way, I can look at character and I can ask questions around those areas that are really important to us and to our culture. So how long, that, that, thank you, that was awesome. Now, if, if let's say you hire an apprentice right now. How long is it typically until they're able to handle a project on their own or that sort of thing? Yeah, well, it, part of that depends on the person. It depends on their cognitive learning skills, how quickly they're able to learn new things. Um, typically, we like to see it takes about a year to get their feet under them. And then in that second year, at the end of the second year, they're, they're ready to take projects on their own and start to not full projects, but they're able to like 
be let out of the vehicle, take the vehicle and fix this problem at this house or go solve this uh-huh. issue or put up that, you know, that, that wall. They can do that. Okay. All right. Great. It's been awesome. Andrew, we we don't have an hour. We have 60 seconds to f- learn all we can about you, and we call it the lightning round. Are you ready for that? <laughs> okay. And now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage lightning round. It's a trap. All right, 60 seconds are going on the clock. Here we go. What is your favorite business book and why? Um, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller, um, because it ties our work to God's work in creation. If you weren't a remodeler, what do you think you'd be doing? I would be a consultant um, or a pastor in church, probably. What are you not very good at? Um, Details. Um, Managing a lot of details. I'm better at a big picture. Your room, your desk, or your car, which would you clean first? Um, My room, because I love my wife dearly. (laughs) How many pancakes do you eat in a year? Ten. Name a movie you've seen more than ten times. Oh, boy. Top Gun. Nice. Good one. Uh, The new one's coming out soon, isn't it? Uh, Someday. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, this has been great. It's been a little challenge getting us all together here. I'm really glad it worked out today. And it was a pleasure meeting you. Now, before I let you go, though, one of the most important parts... So I want you to share your five words of wisdom with our listening audience and why they resonate with you. Thank you. Yeah, um, I think stay humble would be the words. And I think they resonate with me because starting a business, I was a very prideful, arrogant entrepreneur. And I didn't think I could learn from anybody. And so I just drove and was really driven and focused. And I think over the years, you, you start to grow in humility and you start to see other people more valuable and you start to really learn and start to understand people and you appreciate people and you become um, harder to offend I think is, is one thing when you really care for people and um, you're always learning I think there's a, the more the, the, the wiser you get I think the less you know the less you think you know and, and you just constantly are uh, learning so I think humility stay humble would be Something that I've got to tell myself all the time. Not think of, not think too highly of myself. All right, that's great. Good. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate you doing this, and it was great meeting you out in Minneapolis, you and your brother Paul. And um, you know, it's, uh, it was good stuff. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Yeah, great. Thanks. Nice to meet you, Mark. And yep. good to talk to you. Thanks, Andrew. Thank Th- that was really interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> it was really yeah. cool that. So many people um, love to train in his company. You know, I think that the one statement he made that resonated the most with me was that they're looking at the long game. Right. Yeah, that that was definitely a, a ear perk up thing. It's, you can't be focused on, on what's right, right in front of you. Yeah. And, you know, you hear, I hear so many remodelers complaining about we can't find anybody that's got the right attitude. They right. don't show up. They don't, you know, all those things. So obviously they're not putting as much emphasis on training for the culture as Andrew and his brothers are. Well, and and training for, for everything, right? Not just yeah. the culture, but, but right. everything. I think that really helps. He's He said it took about five years before he started noticing it, but – you know, people people that you're you're bringing up through the ranks, they're gonna have a connection with with you and your company, and they're gonna think of it as a home. Well, then the, even the 
even not, I guess, better, but another awesome piece of that is the additional profit that he's generated through making this investment. Right. I know. That was a huge thing because they're more more efficient and just stronger team. Yeah. It's not all fuzzy and woo-woo. It's practical right down to the bottom line stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Really really good. A lot of good tips in there. Mm -hmm. I wonder wonder how many people are going to give give that a go because I think they should. I'm thinking about how we can implement it. Right. I know. I know. Well, that was great. We want to thank Andrew for taking the time to share what his secret is to all the awesomeness he's got going on there in Minnesota. And we want to thank you for listening week in and week out. I'm Mark Harari. And I'm Victoria Downing. See you next time. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about roundtables our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.